Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Summer in the Gospels. This summer, we're spending our Sunday mornings in the Gospels, which are the first four books in the New Testament. In each passage, Jesus teaches an important lesson about what it means to follow Him. When we read these scriptures, it will help us learn more about Jesus and how to help us follow Him. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here. We're in the middle of this series called This Is My Story. And the reality is this. If you've come to faith in Jesus, regardless of what you've been through in life, the highs, the lows, the mountaintops, the valleys... If you've come to faith in Jesus, you have a story, a story of how he's become real to you, how he's become relational to you, how he has become your savior and your Lord. And this morning, we're going to hear another testimony of how someone has come to faith in Jesus. So uh, turn your attention as we hear from Jeff Gridley this morning. Hello. My name is Jeffrey Gridley. I grew up in Windsor and I now live in West Suffield. I'm an avid skier and cyclist. I've worked construction the last 45 years and been in drywall for the last 36. Today I want to talk about God, my deliverer, and how throughout all my life he has been faithful. My story is not so much how I came to faith as it is how Jesus Christ came to find me. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 18 how Jesus came to save those who were lost. Let me tell you, I was lost, empty, alone, and terrified, with no, no way out and no hope. Have you ever felt alone? Maybe you're with friends or family, but still alone, or maybe just feel empty. That's how I felt all my life. As a child, I grew up in a good home with two sisters. Although I believe my parents loved me, I did not feel connected to either one. From a young age, I felt disconnected and alone. I don't know why, I just never felt like I was part of the family. In school, I did well up and through the third grade. As reading became more integral part of learning, I began to fall behind. Teachers began to talk down to me and treat me like I was a problem. I felt disconnected in school, insignificant and very insecure. I lost respect for them, believing I was smarter than they were. My thought was, they obviously didn't like their job, weren't very good at it, and at least I knew how to treat people, which obviously they did not. I became very rebellious and had no respect for authority. I felt all adults and authority in my life were more concerned with how they looked than my well-being. Reaching my teen years in the late 60s and 70s, drugs were very prevalent and my rebellious attitude found the whole anti-establishment counterculture very appealing, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. By the age 13, I began to drink and use drugs. When I was high, I felt the freedom from all my insecurities and negative feelings 
For the first time in my life, I felt okay just being myself. These decisions at a young age would set my life on a path I would come to regret. In seventh grade, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. At that time in 1969, there wasn't much help for learning disabilities. Reading was so difficult for me. At that time, I was probably reading at a third or fourth grade level. The last thing I wanted to do was work on improving reading or studying of any kind. I could ace any math test without studying, but couldn't pass an English or social studies test. Every year, my grades just got worse and I fell further behind. I saw no point in continuing. I left school before completing the 10th grade. I was drinking and using drugs every day. Although I had a home to go to, I felt more comfortable outside, on the streets with friends, or even just drinking alone in the woods. By the age 18, I had a long police record and ended up in the Sim Street Jail in Hartford. Notorious for being dangerous and for its poor living conditions. Arriving at my cell, the inmate in the cell next to me handed me a Bible saying, the guy who just left that cell wanted you to wanted to make sure you got this. While there, I, I had time to read the, read the New Testament and a good part of the Old. I prayed there and believed God had a plan and a call on my life. Upon release a few months later, I just went back to the only life I knew, just a little harder, angrier, and meaner. I believed what I read in jail, but saw no evidence of this God in the churches. Over the next 10 years, I was married and had two children. With everything to live for, I was unable to change. One evening, I was at home and I heard a knock on the door. When I answered it, there was a Windsor police officer. Officer Carl Thomas. Never a good thing when the police are knocking at your door at 10 o'clock at night. Officer Thomas was a Green Beret, Vietnam vet, who had his own anger issues. He was one of the most violent officers on the Windsor Police Force. And we had had many run-ins and physical altercations. He said, you're under arrest and coming with me. I said, not if you don't have a warrant, and slammed the door shut. Those minor details were not gonna detour Officer Thomas. Within a matter of seconds, we were rolling around the kitchen floor. I was handcuffed, and he was dragging me out of the house. Another time I was out with a friend, and my, my children were with me. My son was two, and my daughter was four. My ride didn't come through, and it was getting dark. The temperatures were dropping, so we decided to get the kids home by hitchhiking. Back in those days, it was legal. Officer Thomas stopped and brought us to the police station and arrested me on two counts of endangering minor. Subsequently, he called Child Protective Services and reported the incident. My thought was he could have just given us a ride home and solved the problem. Instead, he tried to take away the only thing that meant anything to me. At this point, I had enough of Mr. Thomas and I decided I was gonna kill him. After all, I didn't care if I lived or died. His life meant nothing to me. I had access to a crossbow, I knew where he lived, 
and thought that would be a fine way for him to go, a hunting arrow through his neck. A few years passed, but the bitter hatred was still ever-present. Now 30 years old, my daughter was seven, my son five. I knew I was failing as a father and a husband, but couldn't change. I had been through jail, drug overdoses, numerous fights. I'd been run over in an attempt to kill me, had knives and guns pulled on me. My life had been threatened more than once and I had been through many car accidents and motorcycle accidents. In one of the accidents, I was racing a car on my motorcycle at speeds well over 90 miles an hour when a tractor trailer pulled out in front of us. I skidded in, I skidded in, then laid the bike down and slid. The bike went under the back wheels of the wheels of the truck and cartwheeled end over end off the road. I hit the rear wheels and slid behind them under the back of the truck as the car skidded in, missing my head by inches. Through all, all this, I could see God's hand was on my life. I believed he had a plan for my life, but I still couldn't change. This only frustrated me further and led me to live more recklessly. I truly believed nothing could kill me, but at the same time, I didn't want to go on living the way I was. I didn't want to die, but I saw no hope in the land of the living. I didn't care if I lived or died. I came to a place of great despair. If God had a plan for my life, I didn't see it. As I walked one day, I prayed, God, send someone, I need help. God would answer that prayer sooner than I expected. The next night, I found myself outnumbered in a fight. One of them hit me in the face with a brick. The police had been called, and guess who shows up? Yep, Officer Thomas, the man I hated most in this world. I heard he had become a Christian and had changed. I was very skeptical of that. He told me to get in the car and I complied as the fight was pretty much out of me at that point. I stood at the cruiser waiting for him to place me under arrest, pat me down, cuff me, and throw me in the back, as he had done many times before. Instead, he opened the front door and said, sit up here with me. That was very strange and out of character, but as I think back, it was from that moment that I began to see something different in Officer Thomas. As we drove around a bit aimlessly, he began to tell me how Jesus changed his life, how Jesus changed, how Jesus can change mine, how he stands at the door and knocks. All we have to do is let him in. At that point, I was thinking, no God, send someone else. He gave me a ride home and invited me to church. He seemed genuinely concerned for me, and I knew this was not the man, same man that I had grown to hate. I went to church with him. At, it was an inner city church, Glory Chapel, where I saw men and women worshiping God and giving testimonies of how God had changed their lives. This was the God I had read about in jail. I had finally seen hope in the land of the living. Psalm 27:13 says, I would have lost heart unless I believed 
that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Over the next year, I would go to church off and on, but still used, unable to change, still using drugs, I eventually stopped going to church. I found myself using cocaine almost every day. One day I was using heroin with a heroin addict. I looked at him and saw my future. I wanted no part of that. I prayed, God, get me out of here. I will do whatever you want. Go wherever you want. Just get me out of here. At that moment, there was a clarity in my mind like never before. I wasn't high, even though we had already used the heroin. As we drove down the road, I prayed again, God, if this is you, you need to get this guy out of my car. Instantly, a police car came up behind us, lights on, and pulled us over. I thought, great, now we're all going to jail. And sit. The, the police officer walked up to the passenger door, opened it, and said, we have a warrant for this man's arrest. You can go your own way. God had answered my prayer. I went home and began to read my Bible. I read, seek first the kingdom of God. I went to church the next day and they preached, seek first the kingdom of God. I went to another church a few days later. The preacher opened his Bible to Matthew 6:33 and began to read, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. I had begun to pray every day and read my Bible, no longer out of empty desperation, looking for hope, but now out of a burning desire to know God and to hear his voice. I had not realized what God had done that last day I used heroin. It was 10 days later, I was driving through Hartford. I had money in my pocket and I drove by where I would usually get cocaine, but had no interest. Thinking back over the last 10 days, I realized I had not used it all. In the last 10 days, I never even thought about it. That made no sense to me. I thought, why, why would I? I thought, why did I? It all made no sense to me. And then I thought, why would anyone use drugs? That made no sense to me. None of it made any sense. It was as if I had never lived that lifestyle. That was the day I realized I had been set free by the mighty hand of God, my deliverer. In Revelations 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. All my life I had doubts and reservations about being a Christian, or if I even knew how or wanted to be one. When I read the Bible in jail, or when Carl first invited me to church, Jesus was knocking. And unlike the Windsor police, Jesus waited for me to open the door. That's all I had to do. And Jesus came in and changed my life. It's been thir over 30 years now and I have never looked back. My life that meant nothing to me before is now of hope, full of hope and promise. All 
all the time, God had a plan. And despite my foolish rebellion, he was faithful. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now I see his plan being fulfilled in my life. I've worked in the inner cities ministries, reaching out to children and their families in neighborhoods where I used to buy drugs, now bringing hope with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have led mission trips to Mexico and worked with the very poor. I've worked in, as a youth pastor for 10 years. The man I hated most in this world has become one of my dearest friends. And his life that meant nothing to me at one, at one point is now more precious than any words can express. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 61, a Messiah, a savior to come. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening prison doors to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus quoted Isaiah in Luke 4:18. Jesus is this Messiah. I was bound and oppressed, a captive with no hope. I saw Isaiah's prophecy fulfilled in my life as Jesus came, broke the chains, and set me free. John 8:36 says, who the Son sets free shall be free indeed. Thank you. Jeff's story is an amazing story of how God can work in a person's life, how he can work in all of our lives. And as I've said all through this series, you know, some of us would say, well, wow, that's a really dramatic story. My story is not that dramatic. It, it doesn't matter. We all who have come to faith in Jesus have a story of what he has done in our lives. This morning, I want us to uh, look at scripture because we're going to look at a passage from the gospel, excuse me, from the book of Romans, and we're going to look at what it tells us that is true for everyone who comes to faith in Jesus. So uh, first, I want to talk about this. Salvation comes from faith, and we're going to turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. So if you have a Bible, you can look that up. It's going to be on the screen also. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I want to explain something, because when you read those verses, it may sound to you like we're saved by more than just believing. It sounds like you have to believe, and then you have to say something, and specifically that Jesus is Lord. But the Apostle Paul didn't mean that as he wrote that. This, to understand what he meant, we have to understand what was what he was saying in the context of the world in the first century. 
So if we go back to the first century, we've got to remember that they were, at least in Israel, they were really just two religious kinds of worldviews. There was the Greek-Roman pantheon of gods, and there was Judaism. Now, remember, Paul was a man who was steeped in the religion of Judaism. He rose to the highest level of leadership in the religion of Judaism that any lay person could do. He became a Pharisee. And in fact, when he writes about his own life, this is what he says about himself. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, that he was at the, the top of the religious game that he could be in. But when he had a dramatic conversion, when he met Jesus personally, we see that he comes to faith and he acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. Now, to our 21st century ears and minds, saying Jesus is Lord doesn't strike us as, as something that's that significant. But to a first century audience, specifically a, a first century Jewish audience, that would have been unheard of. One scholar explains it this way. For a Jew to confess Jesus as Lord would be to ascribe deity to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth was the very source of Jewish outrage that led him to be crucified by them in Jerusalem. And so there was no mistaking that Paul's intent was formalizing that to really become a Christian, you needed to be able to say, Jesus is Lord. And that would have been huge because Jesus was the stone, the stone that, that caused so many people in the first century world of Israel to stumble. Now, to confess that Jesus is Lord is, is not a requirement for salvation, but for Paul, it was an outward public manifestation of a heart-held belief. It's like when we talk about baptism, all right? When we, we talk about being baptized, baptism doesn't save us, but it is the outward manifestation that you've come to faith in Jesus. And it's one of those first steps of obedience to following Jesus as our Lord. So when you as a person would say Jesus is Lord in that first century, it would have meant that you've come to believe that he is the son of God. Now, no Jewish person in the first century would have ever done that unless he or she had had a conversion of their heart to believe that Jesus was the son of God. So what Paul was saying was, if you truly believe in Jesus, then you will wholeheartedly, without reservation, say that he is the Lord of your life. And you'll demonstrate that by the way you live. And one of the ways you would demonstrate that by the way you live is to acknowledge openly, verbally, that he's Lord. So salvation comes by faith, and following Jesus will reveal the evidence in our lives that we're changed because he changed our lives. In 1942, Army Corporal Jacob DeShazer was captured by Japanese soldiers. 
He was tortured ruthlessly before being placed into solitary confinement uh, in a filthy prison camp. DeShazer remained in captivity for almost two years, struggling with starvation and with illness. But something changed after one of his fellow prisoners died of starvation. The, his captives... His, his captors upped the rations of food, and they allowed the prisoners to have reading material, including a Bible. Now, there was only one Bible for the whole prison, so DeShazer had to wait six months before he got his turn to read it. And when it finally came, he read the scriptures over and over and over again. And he would openly admit, though he was raised in a Christian home, he had never accepted Jesus as his Lord and as his Savior. So on the final day that he was given to hold that Bible, he read again what I just read, Romans 10, 9. If you openly, openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And right there in that filthy prison camp, DeShazer professed his faith in Jesus and he begged God for forgiveness. DeShazer had been converted to be a follower of Jesus, and, and immediately he began to realize that as his Savior and as his Lord, that was going to demand some changes in his life. Not just in the future, but while he was currently in that prison camp, he would have to change how he lived for Jesus. And if he got out, obviously, down the road, he would also do the same. Not long after that decision, he was thrown back into his, into his cell after having some time out in the yard to exercise. And as he was thrown back in, uh, the guard injured him. And he said his mind blazed with rage. But he remembered some of the words that he had just recently read in the New Testament, words that said that were from the mouth of Jesus, who said, love your enemies, bless them, and don't curse them. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for them. And so he realized he needed to change. And, and the next day, he, he had a test, a, a test to put into place this change of heart because he was following Jesus. That morning he was greeted by the guard and he respectfully replied to the guard in Japanese. The guard gave him a puzzled look but said nothing. But every morning after that, he freely and friendly offered greetings to that guard who never responded to him. But then one morning, the guard walked straight into DeShazer's cell and spoke to him through the door. And this time, the guard was smiling. And so DeShazer asked him about his family. And from that time on, the guard treated him with respect and kindness, even slipping some extra food to him over the days to come. Now, DeShazer was imprisoned until, Jap until Japan surrendered. And, and on that day... As he thought about what that meant, it wasn't about the freedom that he was eventually going to have when they came and liberated him from his prison cell. What he thought about that day were his captors. He wondered what would happen to the Japanese people. And he sensed that God was giving him an answer. 
And that answer was that he was going to eventually return to Japan as a missionary and teach them about Jesus. And he did. He became a missionary to Japan and was effective in, in bringing dozens and dozens of people to Christ. That's his story of how he was saved by faith, but he, he immediately understood that when he was saved by faith, he needed to demonstrate that Jesus was the Lord of his life by the way he lived because it necessitated a change when we believe in Jesus. So we need to remember that we're saved by faith, but if we truly believe in Jesus, it will change the way we live because he is our Lord, or we could use a different word, he is our leader. And that means if he is our Lord, our leader, we follow him and his teaching and what his spirit leads us to say and do, which is to live more and more like Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 10 are what started this, so I want to look at a second section of that passage, and I want to talk about the fact that faith comes from hearing, from, from hearing God's word. And so in this next section, the Apostle Paul drives to a conclusion by asking several rhetorical questions that are important for us to think about. So let me read them beginning in verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? And then the apostle concludes. So faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. So what's he getting at? Well, Paul is telling us that calling on Jesus requires having faith, and having faith requires hearing the message of Jesus, and hearing the message of Jesus requires someone telling the message of Jesus, and telling the message of Jesus requires that someone be sent to tell that message. So, who's supposed to be sent? The ones who are supposed to tell others about Jesus are the ones who have already been saved by faith and had their lives changed. That's me. That's you. That's anyone who has come to faith in Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Communication in this day and age is very different than when that scripture was written. And we live in a day and age where we can send a message to someone halfway across the world in seconds and get a reply in the same amount of time. It's far removed from our knowledge the experience that the Apostle Paul was talking about when he quotes from the prophet Isaiah those words, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. When we hear that, it just, it just doesn't compute into our 21st century heads. But in a day and age when a message was carried step by step 
by someone traveling by foot or maybe on a horse over long distances when it would take days, weeks, or even longer for that message to get to the intended recipient. That recipient would eagerly be awaiting that message, hoping and praying that the message was good news. And if it was good news, they would say, oh, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings me good news. Think about that. Maybe a more modern story will help you understand it. It's from a missionary who served in a country in West Africa where he witnessed the story I'm going to share with you. There was an African man who had become a follower of Jesus, but he also was afflicted with a, a dreaded disease, the disease of elephantitis. It's a condition that hardens and enlarges the flesh of the lower legs and feet, so they appear as solid columns of flesh from the knees down. And it's a painful and restrictive condition that makes simply just walking a challenge. But this man had come to faith in Jesus and he was so appreciative of the grace of God that had saved him that he thought nothing of the pain of his condition. And so he began to go from home to home in his village sharing the good news of the gospel, knowing that he did not want anyone to not have heard the good news of Jesus. So he shuffled and hobbled on his afflicted legs and feet day after day until everyone in his village had heard the good news. But he wasn't satisfied with that. And so next, he decided to make a, a painful trip to a village down the road. It was two miles because he couldn't bear the thought that there would be people who would live their lives without hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And so he would get up early and start in the morning and walk to the nearby village and he would go from home to home and share with those people who live there the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then he would walk home again, and he repeated this process day after day until everyone in that village had received the good news. With no one else to tell, he, he went and asked his pastor and the missionary who's telling the story about going to the next nearest village. They said, they said the next village is, is 10 miles away. So they discouraged him from considering that journey given his physical condition. But one day, his relatives awoke to find that he wasn't in the house. It was not until later that they found out the full story. He was traveling to that village 10 miles away. It took him until noon to travel those 10 miles to the village. And, and when he arrived... Though his feet were bloody and swollen, he didn't want to waste any time eating, so he spent the rest of the day in the village going from home to home to tell people about Jesus. And then as the sun was setting, he set back to his own village, and somehow he made it through the pitch black night, falling on the missionary's porch at midnight. The missionary also was a doctor, so he summoned help, and they brought him in to the clinic. He was semi-conscious, and the doctor related how they put salve on his feet and bathed him and bandaged up his wounds, and he said, you know, they were the beautiful feet of a messenger of the gospel. Because he said, you know, without counting the cost to himself, this man had lived out the words of the apostle Paul. How can they believe 
in him unless someone is sent. And he writes, that man's feet in the eyes of the world could be best described as horrific, but, but they had become the beautiful feet of one who brings the good news. Now, if that story brings some conviction to your hearts, that's good because the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. I mean, think about it. You know, we, we spend large amounts of money on our feet by putting shoes on them so that they look beautiful, so that they look attractive. But this man did whatever it took to share the good news of Jesus and his swollen, bloody, diseased feet are the beautiful feet of a messenger of the good news of Jesus. One writer writes, it's ironic that many Christians who, uh, that many Christians who go to great lengths to dress their feet in this world's latest fashion have not the beauty of this diseased African saint's feet who could not rest until all within his reach had heard the gospel. And then they, he concludes, may we be people of passion more than fashion as we take the good news of the gospel to a waiting world. When you believed in Jesus, you were saved by faith. But being saved by faith is not something that doesn't have an impact on our lives. Being saved by faith demands that we follow Jesus, and following Jesus and his teaching means that we're going to live different. And today, we've, we've heard three stories of, of people who were changed because they were saved. We heard Jeff's story. We heard Corporal DeShazer's story. We heard about the man in the village in West Africa. Jesus tells his followers to be his witness, to go and make disciples by telling them about Jesus. And so as his followers, we're called, we're commissioned, we're empowered to do that. So let me encourage you to start praying about who God wants you to bless with your story about what Jesus means to you. You know, last week I encouraged you to, to go to our website and, and write down your story and submit it to me. And, and I've had several of them come in. They've been a real blessing. I want to encourage you, if you didn't take that challenge or if you're still considering it, go to that. Go to the next steps page and, you, and then you'll click on that and you'll see a share your story and send that. Why? Because our stories are important. And yes, I may ask you to share it someday, but it's important that we do so. You know, let me remind you that, that last week and, and earlier this year, we talked about that acronym that spells out the word BLESS. You can go into our cafe. You can read those letters and see what each one stands for. If you're leaving today and go by the welcome kiosk, there's little stickers there that spell out what the acronym stands for. I would encourage you to take one of those stickers and, and put it up and, and begin to use that to reach out to people. Let me give you a, an easy way to connect with people. You probably have noticed if you've been coming here for some time, we do events roughly about every quarter. We, we call them outreach events. We plan an event so that you can invite your friends, your family, your neighbors, folks who, who may not know God or don't have a church home to come and experience something that will allow them to 
be on our campus or meet people so that we can connect with them. So we're planning our annual trunk or treat outreach. It's going to be on Saturday, October 28th. And I want to encourage you to begin praying now. Who can you invite? Who can you invite? And in the coming weeks, we'll have some invite cards that you can actually use to hand them out to somebody. Uh, invite your neighbors. You know, it, it's something that we all get to participate in. I would also encourage you that if you'd want to be somebody who decorates their car so that you can hand out candy, you can go to our website and then forward slash trunk or treat, and you can sign up to decorate a car. We, we'd love to have 20 or more cars out there. But the big idea is this, is what we're creating an event so that you have something to invite somebody to. But it requires all of us to begin praying now about who should we invite. And then mustering up the courage to make that invite. Invite them to come and hear and experience the good news of Jesus through fellowship with one another and, and through words that we share. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, but, I, but I, I think it's important that I ask the question because today's scriptures beg that the question be asked, have you come to faith in Jesus? You know, the, the scriptures say that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that, that God raised him from the dead, that, that we'll be saved. So if you've never profess Jesus as your Lord and, and believed in your heart, this is your opportunity today. You know, he has offered us all the opportunity to have a relationship with him. First of all, we have to acknowledge that we're sinners and confess that sin. And then we have to tell him that we want to believe in him and follow him. And so I'm going to close with a prayer. And that prayer is going to start off with a, a simple prayer. If you want to pray to receive Jesus as your Lord, we had somebody do that last week, and that's great. And I want to encourage you to do that today if that's you. And if you do pray that prayer, come see me afterwards because I would love to give some material to you to help you grow in that. If you're online with us, send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc, and we'll send that material to you. Then after I pray that prayer, I'm going to pray for each one of us to recognize that we need to go out and share that good news with the people God has put in our lives. So let's bow our heads. Father, I recognize today as we gather here that there may be someone who's never put their faith in you. And so, Lord, I, I offer this opportunity for them to pray to you. So if that's you, pray these phrases back to God simply where you are, just silently in your seat. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and I believe he died for my sin and that you raised him from the dead. Today, I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord. Guide my life. I pray this in his name. We'll say amen to that, but now I'm going to pray for each one of us. God, for every single one of us who have come to know you, we have a story of what you mean to us, how you've brought us to you, and that story needs to be told. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to think about our story, to write it down, but then to share it with others, to seek that opportunity to build a relationship and follow your lead when it's the right time to share. And I pray, Lord, that you would use each one of us to see many 
people come to faith in Jesus so that we can celebrate with you what you're doing as you grow your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.